My name is Andrew Kays, and I'm the pastor at Emmanuel Evangelical Lutheran Church of Paynes Point. That's in rural Oregon, Illinois. You're about to hear me preach. Now, this episode was recorded during the COVID-19 pandemic, during which time public worship has been disrupted. We don't have it every Sunday. Therefore, all sermons have been recorded ahead of time to make them available online. Unless otherwise noted, all scripture is NRSV, used under the gratis policy of the copyright holder, the National Council of Churches. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 21st chapter. Jesus said, There will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars, and on the earth distress among nations, confused by the roaring of the seas and the waves. People will faint from fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, stand up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Then he told them a parable. Look at the fig trees and all the trees. As soon as they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Be on guard so that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life, and that day catch you unexpectedly like a trap, for it will come upon all who live on the face of the whole earth. Be alert at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that will take place and stand before the Son of Man. This is the Gospel of our Lord. Grace and peace to you, sisters and brothers in Christ. We're going to do something a little bit uh, on the lighter side (laughs) this morning uh, in light of how heavy the last week has been, or at least going to keep it as light as can be when we're talking about comparing gospel texts and talking about the end of the world, but (laughs) we'll see what we can do. Uh, To remind you, last week we looked at how the transition in the church year, going from one church year to the next, calls our attention to this uh, tension in God's word. It's, it's the same tension that exists there as law, gospel, all the time. The fact is the word of God both convicts and liberates. It's law and gospel all the time. The transition from one church year to the next taps into that in terms of Jesus's coming and anticipating Jesus coming into the world. It's both cause to tremble and, and fear Judgment is coming. And it's also a call to sit up and raise your head. Salvation is coming. And both should get us to get our lives in order as best we can. It's also the transition from one gospel to the next. We're going from focusing on Mark last year to Luke this year. See, the three years are focused on the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They're the three gospels with roughly the same view of the gospel story, the same order of events, and so on. Now, John gets sprinkled in throughout the three years, but he got a fair bit more attention during Mark's year because Mark's the shortest. There's more room to share. The relationship between those three, Matthew, Mark, Luke, has been debated a bit over the centuries, but now most scholarship agrees that Mark is simply 
the first one, and, and by a fair bit, the first one in history, that is. It may have circulated as an oral tradition first, but by the time Matthew and Luke get to writing, they both had a written copy of Mark. Long story short, we know this because of what overlaps between the three Gospels and and what does not, if you map that all out. What is in Matthew and Luke, but not in Mark, does not match letter for letter the way it does when you compare them with Mark, and there's not even a lot there to compare. But this so-called mini-apocalypse that we've had in our reading here, or just had in our reading here from Luke, is a bit unique. You might call it a, a near parallel. If you look it up in Mark or Matthew, and there might be a little footnote, you might be able to go to the bottom there and see a a CF, as in compare to, go also look this up, and see Luke listed there, but maybe not, because it's kind of similar. It's very similar, in fact, but it's not quite the same. It's It's not word for word the way a lot of parallel readings are between the Gospels. Now, any text, of course, can be preached in a myriad of ways, but if you have these vague memories of the same preacher taking these same words from Jesus and then preaching them in dramatically different directions, this may just be why. They're close enough readings to conflate them in our memories easily, in fact, but they vary enough to interpret them and preach them in quite different directions. All three readings follow Jesus prophesying that the temple in Jerusalem will come down, All three list some sort of sign, followed by the Son of Man coming in a cloud, that quotation there, and then a parable about looking to the fig trees in order to read the seasons. You can tell what's about to happen by the signs around you. And that's enough to make them feel like it's all three Gospels simply recording the exact same sermon from Jesus. But Jesus almost certainly gave similar sermons on several occasions, depending on the audience, where they were, maybe it just varied over time. So it's no surprise that similar sermons are recorded. So what varies here? Well, there's just three things we're going to look at. If you wanted to get into stuff that's not all that interesting, the list could be quite a bit longer. But there's three that are curious enough to mention. The first is that each gospel has an added parable to explain that thing about the fig trees. And Mark goes right into talking, Jesus talking about a landowner leaving his slaves in charge while he's away for a while. And Matthew will have that too, but first he compares it to the days of Noah. Luke, instead, compares it to getting, like we just heard, getting snared in a trap. So there's a different parable for each of them to immediately explain what did Jesus mean by that. The second variation is that in Mark and Matthew, these signs in the sky are described a little bit more explicitly. Rather than just saying there will be signs, you know, some signs in the sky and on the earth, Jesus says the sky will be darkened and the earth will quake. Rather than just any old sign, it's specifically darkness. And then angels will gather up God's people from the four winds, from all directions. And Mark has that and then leaves us in suspense. When would that happen? But Matthew relieves that suspense. The exact same language is used in Matthew's telling of the passion at the crucifixion, when specifically when Jesus dies, you know, the sun is darkened, the earth quakes, and the saints rise from their graves. For Matthew, the word then between these signs, that sign and the fact that the Son of Man will come in a cloud, is a big then. The amount of time between those signs is indeterminate. 
He still says it will come soon enough to be on the lookout, but it doesn't come before the end of Matthew's gospel as written. And you might say, well, Matthew expected it to be before the passing of that generation, and maybe he interpreted that word to mean the people who are alive then. But no, that's, uh, that's how we most often use that word. But the word generation can mean a race of people. It, can mean, it, can, it, it basically just means a large group of people. It has slightly more specific uses than that. And the point is, by the time Matthew and Luke write these words down, and maybe even by the time Mark wrote them down, that generation had already passed. So Matthew then is just very big there. It could be any time immediately after Matthew was written or more than 2,000 years later. In other words, step one of the mini-apocalypse has already taken place, and Matthew makes that clear but step two is still on the horizon. In Luke, within the Gospel of Luke, in its second volume, the Acts of the Apostles, we never so explicitly find step one being completed, in part because the signs are not so explicit. They're kept more vague and generic. There's going to be signs out there that let you know the end is near. Then the third variation that's worth noting here, and, and really this is the, the one that prompted me to bring up this whole comparison, it's a variation that has at least contributed to one of the most notable theological divides in the church here and now. And, and by here and now, I mean here <laughs> in North America and now, the 21st century, but we could go back a bit. Christianity in the United States over the last 200 years or so, has had a particular eye on the end of days, more than most Christians in most times and places. Lots of people have been trying to figure out when Jesus is coming back. Many of them have decided they know exactly when it will be, down to the minute sometimes. And all of them have been wrong. But there's some people for whom being wrong isn't at all a deterrent. They just keep changing the date, pushing it out a bit further every time, maybe come up with a a new reason to think it's a different date, what have you, something they claim to have missed. Meanwhile, the vast majority of the church in time and place doesn't make those bets. What you might call mainline Protestants, sometimes we're called old line nowadays, it does include Lutheranism, figures these warnings about the end of days are calls to live in the here and now. It, it does us little to no good to know exactly the day and the hour when Jesus will return. So why look? Why try to figure it out? The largest branches of the church, the Roman Catholic and uh, Eastern Orthodox, they put no emphasis on it really either. So that puts us in a bit of an interesting position, and it comes up almost every time we have texts like this. For the the vast majority of Christianity, it's just an outlier minority that thinks we can figure out how and when the end times will come about, what that will look like. They write books about it, what have you. But for us living here and now, it's a sizable percentage of the Christians living in our backyard, in our country, and so on. So... The Times recently put out this documentary on the American readout. And in that documentary, uh, there was a clip of a fundamentalist preaching. And he says, we know we're in the end times. And he cites this text that we had from Luke, like watching the fig tree, right? He's looking around, seeing the signs. Most of the signs we're seeing here today, we must be near the end. And that struck me as awfully disingenuous. 
Because while Jesus, on the one hand, calls us to look for these signs as a reminder to always be awake and aware and ready for his return, he also says we have no idea when it will actually come. Don't even bother trying to figure it out. The signs are perpetual, like how figs, trees bloom once a year. Those signs come and they go, but one sign or another is virtually always there. There's always rumors of war. There's always natural disasters. There's always phenomena in the sky. When you talk about the movements of the moon and stars and what have you, those have been regarded as omens by various religious traditions. So some would claim there's signs all the time at any time. So Jesus has us hold it in tension yet again. Always be on the lookout and ready, but never think you've actually got it figured out. Never think you can set the date or be too sure that it really will be any second now that Jesus comes back. Because you still have to take care of your life and your world. So, I happened to recently hear a preacher take this very text in a direction that seemed to butcher it by plucking out the first few verses and purposefully ignoring the rest, or at least that line about how you won't know when it happens. But I had fallen into that trap I mentioned up top. These texts are close enough to get them mixed up. The same preacher might take Matthew in a totally different direction than they took Luke the year before. And here's why. Matthew and Mark include that line that no one knows the day or the hour, not even the Son, not even Jesus. But Luke drops that line. Why? And I'm not sure. I haven't had a ton of time to consider this. I have some speculations, but I haven't been able to flesh them out yet, maybe explore if they're valid or not. So here's just a couple of ideas. Maybe Luke thought the events described were in the past, like Matthew thought of at least half of them, so you don't need to worry about whether you figured it out. It already happened. Maybe Luke thought he could figure it out and just didn't want to face that Jesus told him he couldn't. Maybe one time Jesus gave this sermon but didn't include that line, and it's as simple as that, and that's why Luke hung his hat on it. Maybe on that time, or uh, maybe Luke, for his audience, was worried that it undercut their commitment to staying alert at all times. Hence, Luke also includes this line about it being like a trap. Whatever the reason is, if you only read Luke, you could be left thinking this is the list of signs Jesus said to look out for and that it is, in fact, your job to go ahead and figure out when Jesus is coming or at least whether he's coming very soon. Even though Jesus says in the near parallel text in two other Gospels that you cannot know. So, that may be interesting. But what's the takeaway in all this? What does any of that have to do with us here today? Well, for the church here, we will hand the reins over to Luke. At least most Sundays, we will let Luke hold the floor as the primary voice for the next year even if Matthew and Mark and John would have varied a bit. Yet we should be very cautious of any sermon or church movement that emphasizes one gospel to the exclusion of another, to prop up Luke's telling of the mini-apocalypse as to inform our lives in an entire church movement and then ignore Matthew's. 
It is still the simple fact that Jesus said we can't possibly know the day and the hour, so any movement which insists we can is contradicting Jesus himself. Because while that sermon may have varied a bit as Jesus gave it several times, the underlying theme stayed the same. We are to live both as though Jesus could return any second now and as though he won't return during our lifetime. As though we have no idea if he'll be back anytime soon. And what that means is we should always be ready for the end of the world for our own sake in our own lives, but also take care of the world around us for those who come after us for other people as a way to love our neighbors. As we continue in this transition then of the going from the end of times to the advent, from Christ's return, a day of judgment, to anticipating Christ's birth uh, as a day of salvation, we continue to hold those anticipations in tension too. And just one quirky little thing to wrap this up. There's another line unique to Luke, which Luke, which we haven't looked at at all yet. And it highlights that same tension. Even in a text about judgment and dismay and how rough it's going to be for everybody who's around when it happens, Jesus says, when that day comes, stand up and raise your heads. Yes, that's right. In a day of apparent disaster, when most people would do the opposite, would run and hide, hit the deck, cover your heads, Jesus says it's good news for those who have heard his word, who listened and believed and trust that his return will be as his advent had been. Good news for us. Salvation is near. Amen. Thanks for listening. I pray God spoke to you in some way. A quick note at the end here, which you can skip if you've heard it before. The audio of my sermons does not always include proper citations. While I do some self-study and lean on my seminary education, I also lean on my colleagues with whom we have a regular text study. I also use Luther Seminary's Working Preacher website and their podcast, Sermon Brainwave. Some credit is due to at least one of those sources. Wherever you are, whenever you hear this, please be well. Take care of yourself and each other, and have a great rest of the week.